The Holy Spirit is a troublemaker. From the long view, looking back, we can usually say it was good trouble. But trouble nonetheless. The scriptures tell this story over and over in various ways. You see it in the prophets, in Hebrew scriptures, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, virtually all of them, the spirit falls on them and they do or say something that seems rash or reckless and trouble ensues. And just look at the story of Jesus, starting with his conception. The Gospels tell us that Mary's pregnancy was from the Holy Spirit, a pregnancy that caused her all kinds of trouble and grief. It was the Spirit that sent Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days of suffering and agony and temptation. When Jesus used the power of the Holy Spirit to displace evil spirits in other people, other powers that be turned against Jesus. In the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord came over Jesus when he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and minutes later, the crowd tried to push him off a cliff. I guess it's not realistic to think that things would be any different for the early Jesus followers as events unfolded in the book of Acts, or that things would be any different for us today when we seek to be guided by the Spirit. When the Spirit moves among us, we should be ready for trouble. We just read a short excerpt of this wonderful story about Cornelius and Peter in Acts 10 and 11. Read it all sometime, and you'll see that eight times in that story, it says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, caused this sudden expanding of the boundaries of imagination in the early church. An expansion that reflected the goodness and beauty of God's big dream for the world and that launched the church into a heap of trouble. The basic shape of this story is fairly simple and quite familiar to many of us. The Holy Spirit was working in two places in parallel fashion. Cornelius, a Gentile Roman army officer who was a God-fearer, a praying man, had a vision where an angel told him to send messengers to Joppa, find a man named Peter who would show him the way to salvation. And Peter, meanwhile, one of the pillars of the early church of Jerusalem, was led by the Spirit to go to Joppa on the seacoast. And one afternoon, shortly before Cornelius's messengers knocked on the door, the Holy Spirit invited Peter in a dream to eat animals that his scriptures forbade him to eat. So the knock on the door and Peter's disturbing dream coincided thanks to this troublemaking Holy Spirit. And Peter ends up being the first leader of the Jewish 
or the Jesus movement to baptize a household of Gentiles and welcome them into the church. And then there was trouble. Well, there was already trouble. This just made the trouble get worse exponentially. The church would end up in a drawn-out, intense struggle for generations because of what inclusion of Gentiles meant for Jewish Christians. Not only did these new Christians have to make huge cultural accommodations, not only did these Jewish Christians have to get over a sense of emotional revulsion that Jewish believers often experience when they shared space or shared tables with Gentiles, not only that, they had to rework their theology of salvation. They had to reread and reinterpret their sacred scriptures. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a troublemaker. Now, from our vantage point today, quite obviously, since we benefited from Gentile inclusion, we can look back on that and say that was good trouble. But to those going through it at the time, it was hard to find any goodness or beauty in it. It broke up families and households. It divided congregations. It separated communities. And at its worst, it caused civil unrest and mob violence. People were beaten, imprisoned, and killed. The miraculous part of that ugly story in the early church is that it got written down and preserved and came to be regarded as worthy of including in our scripture. So today we can read all about it in Acts, in the epistles, and Revelation, and we can see it for what it was, a spirit-directed and spirit-inspired expansion of our imagination of what God is up to in this world. The truth that continues to inspire and motivate the church today is that God's dream is bigger than our dream. We can scarcely get our heads around the dream of God for this world that God loves and wants to make whole. And sometimes the ones who move that dream along are the ones that we least expect to do so. You know, the surprising thing about this story of Peter, who helped break open the borders and welcome Gentiles, is that he the greatest of the apostles, the foundational pillar of the church, the one to whom Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom, he was not really the one who carried God's dream forward. He continued to struggle with this dream. As we, and we see it recorded right there in Scripture, his on-again, off-again commitment to the inclusion of Gentiles. 
Sometimes Peter seems motivated by this vision of the sheet full of unclean animals that being lowered from heaven, and sometimes he seems more motivated by his need to manage the conflict and the stress in the system. Keep those with power from getting too upset. So he was a bit inconsistent. The one that scripture records as being the out-front leader of this change movement is Paul. Paul began as a die-hard Pharisee enforcer of Jewish purity, an enemy of all Jesus followers. And after he switched sides and became a Jesus follower himself, he led not from the center but from the margins. He never had the official status of apostle. He had to keep defending his right to lead in the church. He was low in the church hierarchy in Jerusalem where Peter was in charge. Paul's numerous missionary journeys probably served a dual purpose. They gave Paul an opportunity to spread the gospel even further, and they kept him out from under the watchful eyes of Jerusalem. It was a win-win situation for everyone. So what does this tell us? I think it tells us to hold lightly to what we think God is up to. And be attentive to the wind of God, the spirit of God. Those are synonyms, by the way. Spirit means wind or breath. And it blows where it will without regard to where we wish it would blow. To be in tune with the wind of God requires a great deal of humility and patience on our part. So in these five Sundays from now until Pentecost, we will seek to follow where this wind of God is blowing and notice where the spirit wind was blowing in the early church and notice where it might be blowing in the church today.